Micah and the band, while our children can slide out to Transformation Station. Um, and I'll just make one little note. We've actually invited our commuter kids, our elementary kids, to stay with us today. Um, if they would like, we're also still going to have commuter kids, but um, we're going to have some of our commuter kids that have decided to stay with their parents because the text is speaking directly to, to kids today. So uh, those that slide out, kids, enjoy your time. Those kids that are with us, commuter kids, I want you to listen to me really quick. And, and our sermon at some point today, I'm going to ask you to draw a picture, okay? So I want you to pay attention and do a good job drawing this picture. And I want you to come show it to me after the service, all right? Well, for the rest of us, let's grab our Bibles. And, and children, you can grab your Bibles there in the pew and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. And the Bibles that we provide, that's page 979. 979. My name is John Chastine. I serve as one of the pastors here and um, it is a delight to be able to bring the word to you today. Last week, as Tanner shared, we, enter, we, we entered into this section in Ephesians of looking about at relationships in the home. So last week, we looked at the marriage relationship, and today we're going to look at two other relationships. We're going to see the parent-child relationship and then master-servant relationships in the home, and then we'll, we'll also talk about implications for the work. Um, well, this past week, I read a blog from a, a former New England pastor, Jared Wilson, and he was sharing 14 things that he had learned in his 14 years as a parent. And many of these resonated with me. I thought you might, uh, you might could connect as well. Um, first of all, he, he, I'm not going to share all of them. I'll just share a few of them. He said that parenting is wonderful. If you're a parent, could you, could you agree with me and get some head nods? I mean, look at this picture here. How could parenting not be wonderful with parenting kids like this? They, these are my four children, Ava, Emmett, Owen, and Zoe, and they are such a joy to parent. They're also here in the service today. So, I'm, you know, the things that I'm sharing, they can, they can vouch for what I'm talking about Parenting is fun. This past Friday night, we went and hung out as a family. Check this one out. Who's been to, uh, to the Legoland over in Assembly Square? The kids love playing on the giraffe. Parenting's fun. It's exciting. But parenting is hard. Can I get an amen? I mean, this is a zoomed up picture. I don't know if you can tell. But uh, we're actually having fun. Um, you can see my two boys there. Zoe just headbutted the knee of the giraffe and is breaking out hysterically, crying at this point and for the next five minutes. So parenting at the same moment is fun, and yet it is hard. It is exhausting. Anybody? Any amens there? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. Anybody? Financially? Come on. Parenting is also frustrating at times. I mean, we go from the joys of parenting to cheering our kids on at t-ball and baseball to watching them walk, to run, to learn how to read and write to, to the, the frustrations also of, of a two-year-old that's thrown her food on the floor for the fifth time that week. And for the 15-year-old that slammed the door again and ran to the room, we see the challenges of parenting. I mean, how would you fill in the blank? Parenting is 
How would you fill that in? Now, if you've spent any time at Redemption Hill, I mean, we love kids here, and they seem to be multiplying at a rapid pace. I mean, we've got ladies walking around everywhere, um, and so we're grateful for that and for the, the new life that God is giving. But you know what? We could also apply many of these same words to work. Work is fun. To be honest with you, I love what I get to do. Nobody forces me to do, I, I love this. this. This is what I dream about doing. Work is fun, work is exciting, and yet work is also hard. Work can be frustrating. Can you relate with me? I mean, if you were to feel this, work is fill in the blank. What is that for you? Now this morning, I don't know what your experience is. Maybe this morning was a wonderful experience parenting. Maybe you just dragged the kids to you and to church and it was a frustrating, hard morning. Maybe this past week at work has been one of the best weeks of your life. But maybe you're at one of the lowest points and one of the most frustrating points in work. No matter where you are today, God has a word for you. He has a truth for you from his word so that we can think rightly about parenting you may, and, and about work. You may say, look, I'm not a child. I'm out of the home, really. I'm not a parent. Maybe you're a soon-to-be parent. Maybe you're a want-to-be parent. Maybe you're a one-to-be. Maybe you're just going to be discipling somebody who's a parent. Maybe, you know, you don't have a job right now. You want a job. Whatever your situation, I want us to think about how our understanding of God informs the way we view these relationships. And here's the main point that I want you to get today. Our allegiance to Christ should govern and motivate how we engage in relationships at home and work. Our allegiance to Christ should govern and motivate how we engage in relationships at home and work. And so as we look at our passage today, let me just read through this. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. You'll see it's broken up into two sections. Verses 1 through 4, we're going to see children and parents. And then 5 through 9, we'll see masters and servants. So verse 1, Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's look at this first part. And the first overarching truth here is that godly wisdom, we're going to look at godly wisdom for parents and children. And so first, let's look at the, what, what God's Word says to children. And we see here that children, you should obey your parents in the Lord. Let's just pause for a second. What does obedience look like? We hear this, children, obey your parents and the Lord. My lean is to go to Jesus. And we're going to come back to this father-son relationship and to see what we can learn to drive home in our parent-child relationships in the home. But if you were to go to Jesus and say, how did Jesus obey the father? What would be some characteristics you would come up with? I'll share a verse. We actually read it earlier. John chapter 8, verse 29. For I always do the things 
that are pleasing to him. You hear Jesus talking about submitting to the Father. He's, he's carrying out the Father's plan. And then just this attitude. It's not just doing it. There's a, a pleasure. There's a delight. There's a joy in doing the things that the Father wants him to do. You see, obedience isn't a one-time deal. Emmett, Ava, Parker, it's not like you obey one time and you've got it figured out. Obedience is something that should characterize our lives. And so Ted Tripp in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, says this, that we should teach our children that, that obedience is without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. It's this picture of immediate Obedience. If you've been around our family at all, we use this slogan. We tell our kids, you obey all the way, right away, and what? They're being quiet back there with a happy heart. All the way, right away, and with a happy heart. Why do we want to define obedience this way? Why do I want to teach my kids to obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart? Because in my parenting, I'm not just after obedience, I am preparing them to obey and submit to King Jesus for the rest of their lives. And so I'm teaching them, even in my parenting, what it means for one day for them to obey their Heavenly Father. So we see obedience ought to be done immediately, without challenge, without excuse, without delay, we also see here in the text, it says, children, obey your parents. Children, it doesn't just say, though later we'll see that Paul addresses fathers. We're going to see here just as parents, so that you're to obey both your mom and your dad. And then it says, you should obey in the Lord. In other words, the obedience to your parents should flow from your obedience to Christ. You obey your parents in the Lord. And then what Paul does is he gives us a number of reasons, mainly three reasons, that we and that you should obey your parents. The first one is this. He says, for it is right. Obedience is the right thing to do. I mean, this makes sense. It's only fair that you obey your parents since they are the ones who gave you life and currently provide for you. They, they provide meals for you. They provide a place for you to sleep. They provide clothes for you. They've given you life, and so it is right. It would be the cultural norm that a child would obey their parents. But then second, he goes on, and he says this. In verse 2, he says, Honor your father and mother. Obedience is God's command from you. He's quoting here from the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, honoring and obeying your parents is a tangible way of how you express your love for God. Now kids, I want you to get this. Obeying your parents is a way that you show that you love God. It is a tangible way. It's not just obeying to obey. God has commanded you this. It's not just your dad or your parents asking you to obey. It's God who created you, who's saying you are to obey and honor your parents. When you don't obey and honor your parents, you are not displaying love for God. And then the third reason that he gives here, he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Obedience comes with an amazing promise. Now this isn't 
the first commandment that it had a promise, what he's talking about here is that this is the first commandment that it had a specific promise. You could go back and you could look at the second commandment that had a general promise tied to it, but this is the first commandment that he's given a specific promise, and it's, here's the promise. He, he's given it right here, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Here is the principle. Kids, check this out. Here's the principle. Obeying and honoring your parents will bring you well-being and a long life on this earth. Do you want to live a long life? Do you want to have a good life? Paul is saying, obey your parents. Now, there's obvious exceptions to this rule. As we go to the Proverbs, and as we a lot of Proverbs, we, we see general trajectory here, and there's always exception, but the general rule is this. If you take to heart the wisdom of your parents, then you will have a better chance of doing well and living longer than those who despise their parents. You guys get that? That's what he's getting after. And this is from very tangible, practical things to things related to spiritually. So when a parent says, don't run across the street, you see that obeying your parents can lead to a long life. It can protect you from getting hit by a car. But it's also, they're teaching you spiritual things about life as well. So look at this proverb. I've got it here for you. Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. And you know what? I can list numerous proverbs here Proverbs after Proverbs, where it talks about those who honor and obey their parents and the good life that follows them versus those who scorn obedience. Now, here's what I want you to do, kids. I want you to draw, and, and this is to everybody, I want you to draw a little stick figure of yourself on your journal there or on your little piece of paper. I want you to draw a stick figure. And then around this little stick figure, I want you to draw a circle. You guys got that? Draw the best stick figure and smiley face you can. And then I want you to draw a circle around that stick figure. You getting close? Give you another minute there. All right, now look up here at the screen. Does it look something like this? Maybe something like, maybe not as quite as organized as this, but you've got a picture there, and then you've got a circle around it. Now, this is what this promise is about. This is an image from Ted Tripp in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, and he calls this the circle of, of blessing, the circle of safety. And he says, hey kids, as long as you stay in this circle, there is a promise of long life and a good life. Now what happens when you step outside of this circle? What's implied? There's danger, right? Now we're gonna come back to this later on, but hey, children, this is what I want you to get. When your parents are teaching you 
to obey and telling you what to do. To listen to your parents is to, is to pursue long life and a good life. They are protecting you. They are giving you, the circle is the boundary, the commands that they're giving you in life to protect you and to lead you. So to obey is for your good. Now let's go on to the parents now. Kids, you ready for me to address the parents? There you're like, yeah, you need to talk to my mom and dad and, and help them on parenting. Hey, let me just start by saying this. I haven't arrived. I blow it often as a parent. So, I man, I just want you to know this. I'm a sinner as it relates to a parent. And I am still growing by God's grace and the power of the Spirit to become a better parent and a God-glorifying parent. No amens back here, kids. They could affirm that. Hey, yeah, man, my dad blows it sometimes. And you know what? That is the great news of the gospel. And that is the power of the gospel that we've been talking about here in Ephesians. So no, as I'm telling you and teaching you today, I stand up here as one who is striving to say, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. So when we come to this second part here, we see that parents are to raise your children in the Lord. But specifically, look at verse 4 there. Paul addresses fathers. He says, fathers. And he doesn't mention mothers here. But Paul addresses the fathers because they were to take the lead and the responsibility for raising their children. These are the roles that God has given us in the home that reflect his character, even within the Trinity. So as I look at my own marriage with my wife, hey, look, parenting for us is a team approach, but God has given me the responsibility to lead my wife together as we parent and as we raise and discipline our kids. Now, let me just, I know that we've got some single moms out here and, and that there's some brokenness here and, and that you're probably owning this. I know that there's some probably moms married to some, some husbands that are not followers of Christ and that the husbands aren't taking the lead to instruct and lead in this. And so, and so you're doing that. But the general trajectory is fathers, we need to step up. You guys hear me, men? Like, I want you to hear this. Fathers. And I'll just give you a little sign. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see more of our men serving in Transformation Station. No amen, ladies. And you know what? We've got a child protection policy, so we're not going to put any men alone with a kid. But, but Paul's addressing fathers. Why can't our, if we're to lead in the home, why shouldn't we be also leading in the church? So I just want to challenge our men. Like oftentimes we just send our wives to go serve back there with the kids, but that's not the rule at Redemption Hill. And I would challenge some of you, man, maybe it's just time to step up and say, you know what, I need to be a better leader in the church and in the home. Hear that with love. Hear that with love. And that's, that's what Paul's getting at. Man, we need to own up to our responsibility as fathers. Now, a few significant points here, and then, and then we'll jump in. Parents. It is your responsibility to raise your child. Can you nod with me? It's not the church's responsibility. Now, there's, they, we play a small role in that, but you know what? I might spend an hour around your kid a week. You spend hours with them. 
But second, it's also not the school system's responsibility to raise your child. At the end of the day, parents, moms and dads, you are going to be responsible for your children. And so I just want you to, I mean, I know this is tough. Parenting's hard, right? But I don't just send my kids to church and they give them the spiritual and then I send them to school and they, you know, I'm not saying you've got to know everything and teach everything to your kids, but look, you're responsible for leading, guiding, directing your children in the ways of the Lord. Our role as a church, you know what it is? Is to help equip you. And man, we're trying to do that and we want to continue to strive to do that better. We, we're not there yet. But no, that's our role. We want to put our arm around you dads and moms and say, man, this is what it looks like. Here's some resources. Here's the trajectory. I mean, Karen and I are meeting this past week and we're dreaming about, man, how we can better come along. Our mission statement with Transformation Station is not that, it's not just kids, it's also parents. How do we equip parents to engage their kids? So let me get, give you one tangible thing, parents. When your kid comes back to you today, they're probably going to have a card from their class. It's a gospel project card. Will you just read that with them over lunch today? Or maybe tonight before they go to bed and just say, hey, here's the key question. Ask them the question and see if they know the answer and then teach them the answer. You know what? Our kids love, I mean, they're like Pokemon cards. They want to go home and they want to trade these cards. I mean, spend some time doing that. All right, that's one tangible thing that you can do. Another tangible thing, go download the Gospel Project app that your kids are learning and spend some time. I need to spend some more time with our kids sharing that with them. So it's, a, it's, it's our responsibility, but know this, it's also a full-time assignment. Is there ever a time that a parent just said, well, I'm going to like step back from my parenting responsibilities? I mean, it's full-time. It's 24-7. You are a parent. But our parenting should imitate the Father. So, man, I've been reading a book with some friends lately called Delighting in the Trinity. And, and it's, it's basically Michael Reeves defines God, and he says, God as a father is one of the most important things about him. And then he says this. i got a quote here for you. He says, but God the Father is not called Father because he copies earthly fathers. He's not some pumped-up version of your dad. To transfer the failings of earthly fathers to him is quite simply a misstep. Instead, things are the other way around. It is that all human fathers are supposed to reflect him. Only some do that well. Others do a better job of reflecting the devil. But his point is his fathers learn about your heavenly father so that you can be a better father. And you know, you may be here today and, and, and the brokenness you've experienced in life is I didn't have a good, heaven, I didn't have an, a good earthly father. Maybe that's you. You're like, man, my view of parenting stinks because of I didn't have a good experience. Well, don't cast that on your heavenly father. Look, man, some fathers have not done what they are supposed to do. But come and look to your heavenly father and find grace and kindness and mercy and even the opportunity to forgive your earthly father for where he's failed you. So let's jump in. What does the text give us here? We have a negative and then a positive. The negative is this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We should not abuse our authority by treating our children in ways that would create resentment 
and bitterness. Your job is not to provoke your child. In Gospel-Centered Family, a, a book we've got on our resource table. You know what? This is a great one. Really small. You can read it quick. Um, by Tim Chester and Ed Mull. They say this. Children are exasperated when parents discipline them out of selfish motives rather than out of love. Now just listen to this, and I'm as guilty oftentimes as that my instruction and discipline is motivated by my selfish gain rather than by selfless love. Man, I'm just tired and I want to go to sleep, and so I'm going to yell at the kids and tell them to be quiet. It's happened before. Yeah, after a long day and you're just fed up or maybe a long morning, you know? You're like, what in the world? Have you, has my parenting done any good? You guys listen to anything that I say and you're ready to lose it? Man, oftentimes it is our selfishness that is leading us rather than our selfless love. And so look, only, only God, you and God can answer this, but I would just challenge you today, man, to search your heart. Man, what is motivating your parenting? Is it just a, a sacrificial, patient, bearing love for your kids? You know what? Our Heavenly Father is incredibly patient with us. Has anybody experienced the patience of God? Just a few of you? I have. I have. I have experienced the patience of God. And so I need afresh daily to look to my heavenly father and say, fill me with your spirit and power to love my kids the way you love me as a rebellious kid. Look, parenting's hard. Indeed, it's impossible to do this apart from a relationship, an intimate relationship with God. The positive, he says, Rather, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This word bring up here is the same word used in Ephesians 5.29 relating husbands and wives. And it's where it says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So as a husband is to nourish and cherish his spouse, that is the same way that you are to nurture and to bring up your child. The only two times it shows up in the New Testament are right there. And so when he's saying you are to bring them up, you are to nourish them, not just physically, but man, holistically invest in them for their good. And he says, you do this through discipline and instruction. I want to give you some just practical handles on what does this look like. There's a great article um, by a guy named, last name Wagner, and then um, Andy Nassily. Um, they've talked about levels of parenting, and they've given us three levels. I'll share these with you. The first level of parenting is teach. This is level one. Man, what do you teach? You teach appropriate behavior. This is what you should do. You, you inform of improper behavior. This is what you shouldn't do. And then you explain the negative consequences of disobedience. This is where we should spend most of our time with our kids. Level one, it's teaching. Man, go to the word. Go to Proverbs. Teach your children. This is what it means to be a chastine. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a child 
of God. The second level is warn. But you know, I'm going to step back here for a second. Do you know how most kids learn on level one? By watching. It's one thing for them to hear you read the Bible. It's another thing for them to see you. You guys get me? So like we can tell our kids, don't talk that way all the time. But if they hear that spewing out of your mouth, they're going to talk that way. And you can say, don't hit your brother or sister. But if they see you being physical, well, then they're going to do the same. And you can tell them, don't lie. But if they see you lying... Look, kids aren't stupid. They put the pieces together. And so what we've got to be as parents is we've got to teach them, but we've got to display with our lives. This is what it looks like to do the things that I'm telling you to do. So let me ask you this. Do your kids ever see you reading your Bible? Do they see you praying? What would kids learn about your priorities in life just by watching your life? Would they walk away thinking, you know what, Sunday's a pretty important thing in our family? Or would they walk away thinking, you know what, give or take? How do they see you talk? How do they see you treat your husband or your wife? You see, they're learning about marriage now, by the way. They're seeing you do this. That's level one. Level two is worn. We give appropriate Warnings, and then level three is enforce the guidelines. That can be through non-corporal punishment or even non-abusive corporal punishment. We should spend most of our time in level one, less time in level two, and as little as possible in level three. I don't want to be known as an enforcer. I want to spend as little amount of time as I can there. I want to spend as much of my time in level one with my kids. And so let me just give you a few tangible characteristics. What does discipline look like? And this is from gospel-centered parenting. You know, before we do that, let's go back to this circle that we drew. We got that picture there? This is what discipline is. Hey, kids, you got your picture? Look, I've added a few, a few things to our picture here. When you get outside of the circle by dishonoring and disobeying, there's going to be difficulty and hardship. Do you know what instructing and disciplining is? It's getting your child back in the circle. So let me ask you this. How can you see your child in danger or in peril and not seek to rescue them? Like it blows me away that a parent that consistently sees their kid disobey. To not enforce is to just say, hey, it's okay. But I want to say, look, when they don't obey, you're you're letting them hang out in difficulty and hardship. But disciplining is bringing them back into this circle where there's safety, where there's blessing, where there's long life and goodwill. At the heart of parenting is that. Getting them back to the circle. Notice this. It's motivated not by anger. It's motivated by love. I want what's best for my kids. So I'll give you a few characteristics from gospel-centered parenting. Calm. How should you discipline? You should do it in a calm way. If you're not in an emotional state to do it, you should not be disciplining your children. It ought to be clear. You need to make it clear. What are the expectations? They shouldn't be fuzzy. 
Make it clear with your children. Third, it ought to be consistent. Hey, and this is important. Set consistent boundaries. Always follow through with warnings. If you, have, if you say things and you don't follow through with things, do you know what they're going to learn? You don't mean what you say. So you've got to be consistent. And then third, you've got to be consistent between parents. And this is, I believe, where most families struggle is you've got a a husband who wants to do it a one way and a wife who wants to do it another way, and you will struggle related to to disciplining, instructing your kid unless you get on the same page. And so go back to the the sermon from last week on marriage being a striving for one flesh, and it ought to be the same way as you're raising your kids. There's got to be unity here. And so if you got to go home today and have have lunch with your spouse and say, we got to get on the same page, like do whatever you got to do, but you've got to be consistent, and then fourth, concentrated on the heart. Do you know why our kids act in sinful ways? Because they're sinners, just like you and me. Why? Where does our behavior come from? What does Jesus say? Where, what is our, where does all of the junk that comes out in our life, where does it come from? He says it comes from the heart. He says out of the heart flows sexual immorality and greed and covetousness, and the list goes on and on. And so he says, look, if you can change the heart, you can change the behavior. So in your parenting, your goal is not just to create some legalistic Pharisee that looks really good on the outside at church. You guys follow me? That was me. I did a really good job of staying in the circle, and my heart was wickedly evil. You need, as you, if you miss this last one, you're just going to create a Pharisee. We're not just after get it together or going to church. You need to teach your people about, your kids about Jesus. And so do this. You need to ask good questions. I mean, what did you want when you, when you did that? Why did you kick your brother in the stomach? What were you hoping to achieve? What matters most to you? And then lead them to Jesus. Look, only Jesus could change their hearts. You know what the goal of parenting is for me? I I don't want to be a parent the rest of my life. Like, I hope one day my kids grow up and I can send them out of the house. Can I get an amen? Be quiet, Ed. I'm not, you know, I'm just messing with you. The goal of parenting is I want to raise up a mature worshiper. I want to teach them to love Jesus. You know what? I'm going to send my kids to college one day. And you know what? I don't want to have to walk their hand and go move into their dorm room to make sure they're doing the right things. How do, how do I know with confidence? And look, know this. I don't save my kids. That is the work of God. I can teach them. God must work by his spirit. But I am going to work in a way that I can teach them to love Jesus and worship them with their life. And if they get that and their heart has changed, their behavior is going to change. You guys follow me here? So I want to focus on teaching my kids to love Jesus, to say, take my life, Lord. Let it be all for you and all for your glory. And then I can be confident that I can send them out, and they will worship God because they're not living to please mom and dad anymore. They're seeing that they were created to please a greater heavenly father. And that's what we're after in parenting. And to get that, you've got to get after the heart. So, man, I know I've shared a lot on parenting. I've, I've got about nine years of experience, a lot of failures, um, hopefully a few good things. I'll just give a few more practical pieces of advice. 
Raising your children requires making difficult decisions about what activities you will allow your kids to be a part of. Listen to me. This is important. Because I'm seeing a young generation of parents grow up that basically let the kids rule the house. And you know what? My kids don't rule my house. My principle for my house is seek first the kingdom of God. You guys follow me? And that's what my kids are gonna get. We're gonna seek first the kingdom of God. Of God, And so you know what, man, I, you, many of you guys know I played football in college. I, I'm an athlete. I love sports. My kids love sports. In Medford, do you know when t-ball happens? On Saturday morning and Sunday morning. We make a decision. We do t-ball, but my kids don't go on Sundays. And that's not because I'm a pastor. You hear me? It's because I believe a Christian ought to prioritize the gathering of the local church. And so, you know, a couple weeks ago, we went with Owen, and we said, all right, Owen, you've got a choice to make. Hey, they've got T-ball on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Hey, you can go for a little bit, and then we're, we can, you can go for an hour, and then we'll make it to church. You know what he told me? He said, Dad, I want to go with you at 8 o'clock and help set up. Man, how, does, how do we get to the point where my kid would say, you know what, actually, Dad, I'd rather go at 8 o'clock in the morning to the Boys and Girls Club and help you unlock and set up than go play t-ball because I'm teaching my kids to love church and to have a blast. And thank you guys for allowing my kids to, like, run crazy in here and have a good time. But you know what that made? I wanted to, like, yes! My kid just chose church over t-ball. But you've got to make these decisions. And they're going to learn, based on your decisions, what's important in life, what you prioritize. And this is what we've decided, uh, that we're going to make a priority. So as we wrap up here, you know what I think for many parents, your next step today might be? I think your next step might be a fresh commitment to the things of God yourself. Because, man, I, I hear it. How can you train your children if you aren't desperately pursuing God. So, man, I would just challenge you today, man, what are the things in your life that you just need to repent of? And say, so, you know what, I'm telling my kids to talk a certain way, but I'm just spewing junk out of my mouth. Repent, come to Jesus today and cling to the cross. Man, if you've never been introduced to Jesus in a personal relationship and, and found that your sins can be forgiven and you can have the power of the Spirit and new life, come to Jesus today. Place your faith in him, repent, and come follow him. And just tell your kids, hey, guys, I'm following Jesus. Come follow me. Like, parents, we need to cling to Jesus. Let's now turn to the final relationship in the home, that of masters and servants. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Bond servants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he was both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. And there are two preliminary questions I want us to answer as we jump in here. First of all, does the Bible affirm the institution of slavery? 
you see here in the text here, you may have bond servants or you may even hear it say, slaves obey your earthly masters. Now I have a ton of time to hang out here. But what, you, what we see here in the text today is that the Bible doesn't specifically condemn the practice of slavery, but it doesn't condone it either. It simply gives instructions for how slaves should be treated. But I want you to get this. Slavery in the first century was very different from the slavery we think of that was practiced in the past few centuries. They were nothing alike. I'll give you a few characteristics. Back in the first century, slavery was voluntary, which means masters didn't have absolute rights over their slaves. Second, slave, slavery was not based on race or nationality. Third, slavery played a critical economic role for society. It was a way for a man to provide for his family. Additionally, we could go through many numerous texts that God is... Um, regulating slavery and correcting its wrong abuses. You can go to, um, go, to, go to Exodus and read through the law there and the provision. But we also know this. God is a compassionate God who wants justice and equality for all. We look to our Heavenly Father and that helps us think rightly about this. So one commentator even notes about this passage he says, it would have been difficult for slavery to survive if the advice of this passage had been rigorously followed. So to answer the question, we can't think of slavery in the past few centuries and, and take that and throw it back in hermeneutically, uh, reading the Bible, we can't, we can't do that. We've got to go back and say, what was it back then and how do we understand it now? Obviously, this institution, we don't interact in our homes in this way anymore. So I think the best application for us is to step back and say, okay, what relationships do we have where there is a servant and there is a master? And I think our employer-employee relationships are is one of the contexts that we can seek to apply this passage today. And so first let's see this. Servants, serve your masters as you serve Christ. Verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. This word earthly here is implying that there's another master, King Jesus. And so he's saying here that, that you are to obey your earthly masters. And then he gives a number of characteristics that should describe your obedience. I'm just going to roll through these. We see here that you should obey with fear and trembling. Paul's not necessarily referring to physical punishment here, but rather obedience that recognizes and respects the authority that's above you. If you're underneath authority, you ought to obey in a way that respects that authority. Second, obey with a sincere heart. You should do your work wholeheartedly. You should set third, obey as you would obey Christ. Do your work as if you were doing it for Christ. Obey your earthly masters as you would obey your heavenly master. Four, obey from the heart and not just when people are watching. You should obey as servants of Christ, eager to do the will of God, even when nobody sees what you do. Your goal is not to please people. Your goal is to please God, who always sees. And then he says here, obey with good will. Look, if you're, 
and you think about your work, there's probably a number of justified reasons that you could do ill will to your boss. Maybe some of you have some justified reasons for that. But Paul's saying, in light of the gospel, look, God will be the impartial judge. Leave that to him. You display Christ. And so then he gives us the motivation of obedience here in verse 8. He says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. There is no doubt that if you obey with the characteristics above, man, you'll probably even receive some earthly benefit. I mean, if, if, there, if I'm a boss and there are people underneath me and they're displaying these characteristics, that's, that might lead to a raise, that might lead to greater responsibility. Like, that's somebody that I'm seeing that's faithful, that I can trust. But beyond that, Paul says, know this, Jesus will reward your good works. Have you ever felt discouraged because no one at work acknowledged your hard work? Is anybody there? Take this to heart. Nothing, none of your hard work, none of your selfless service will ever be forgotten with God. He ignores none of it. He sees. So when you walk into work tomorrow, I want you to be reminded that God sees. Whether your employer sees it or not, be faithful, display the gospel, serve as if you were serving Christ because he sees. This is how the gospel motivates. One day we'll give an account to God for everything that we've done in the home and in work. So let that be comforting to you. But then Paul addresses masters. And he says, masters should treat your servants as one under authority. Look at verse 9. Masters, do the same to them. Hey, this is pretty radical. He's just talked about bond servants, and then he turns to master and says, do the very same thing I just told your servants to do. Now, I don't think he's telling masters that they're to obey their servants, but let's not lose the shock value of what Paul has just said. Because when we look to Jesus, what does Jesus teach us about authority? I got a few verses here. Look at this one. In Mark chapter 10, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hey, bosses, get this. You know what it means to be a great leader? Become a servant. Hey, I need, I'm speaking to myself here. If you've got people underneath you, become a servant. Jesus says, you know who's great? It's the one who serves. And then in John chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And then look at what he says. He says, for I have given you an example that you should go and do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So when, when Paul says, masters, do the same 
as I just commanded the servants. I don't think he's telling them that you're to obey your servants, but I do think he's telling them that they should apply these characteristics in a radical way, imitating Christ who came not to be served, but to serve. And then look at the motivation. And we'll wrap up here. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Ultimately, God is the master of all masters. And everyone will have to give an account to him. He shows no partiality. So as we wrap up today, I want you to think about the point that we started with. Our allegiance to Christ should govern and motivate how we engage in relationships at work and home. As a parent, as a child, as an employer, as an employee, don't minimize the potential for God to use you. We all need a fresh commitment to Christ so that he's preeminent in all of our relationships from work to home. Hey, will you join me this week? This week, I'm talking about this week, starting tomorrow. Will you join? Hey, how about this afternoon? Will you join me to take a step this week to greater faithfulness and allegiance to Christ in your home and in your work for the glory of God? God is able by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in need of much grace. God, personally, I am in need of much grace today as a, as a child, as a father, as an employee. I need wisdom. I need power. I need your presence. God, would you remind us all that you see and you reward. God, would you remind us all of, of Christ and his radical obedience to your will, even at the point of death, saying, Father, please take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. God, would you raise up our kids to have a radical obedience because of an obedience to Christ, imitating Christ. God, would you help us as parents to create a culture of grace with our kids, a culture that we teach them, that we expect great things from them, but that we extend grace. And God, give us wisdom to concentrate on their hearts. God, help us to see what's going on in the hearts of our kids. And God, we pray that the gospel would come in and change our kids' hearts, that you would give them new life, that you would save them, and that you would, you would give them great joy and delight, not just for obeying their parents, but for you. God, would you work in our relationships for your glory, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.